You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and principles of leadership. Hello and welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. My name's David Frizzell and on this episode, a first for me, we have a guest back on the show for her third time. Michelle Gibbings has a brand new book out, her third, and it's called Bad Bosses. We've all had them. Some of us may even have been one. So what do we do about it? How do we survive, manage, and turn things around? Here's Michelle to tell you all about it. Michelle Gibbings, welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. Hello, how are you? I'm great, thanks. You know what, Michelle? You are my very first third person, third interview. You're the first person to be on the Team Guru podcast three times. How do you feel about that? Oh, wow. I think I should get a prize. You do get a prize. You get to speak to me for about 40 (laughs) minutes. Congratulations. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) So if you're tuning into this and you're wondering where Michelle has been before on the Team Guru podcast. Back in episode 43, we had our first conversation that was called Stepping Up Your Career. Then in episode 88, it was Survive in a Rapidly Changing World. How apt is that right now? And in this one, we're in the 120s now of this podcast, Michelle, so you've spaced it out perfectly. We are going to be talking about bad bosses. Now, to let you in on a secret, so I'm just going to dump everything we just talked about before, Michelle. We are recording this while I'm in quarantine. I've only got a few days left of my quarantine. I haven't gone mad yet. And the world has changed all around us. And Michelle and I were just discussing, do we do we make this a corona podcast or can we talk about anything but? And we didn't really know where we landed, so we just said, let's get started and see where it goes. But it is an amazing time we're living in. And even if we want to provide content that's a bit of an escape from everything people are seeing and hearing all around them, I guess we can't have any kind of decent conversation and pretend that our world hasn't completely changed. That's correct. I mean, the world has changed. I think it's one of those things we have to deal with the here and now. We have to deal with what we're facing, not put our head in the sands. It's a great opportunity for us to recognize the best of humanity in terms of how we come together. But I was watching her story in last week, and it was great because she was giving lessons from the last pandemics back at the time of the Spanish flu mm. and also during times of real economic uncertainty throughout the course of history. And we always get through this. And I think that's the thing to remember focus on the now and what we can do now, but also maintain the hope because we will get through this and you get through this stronger and we will get through this stronger when we come together and work together effectively. Yeah, couldn't agree more. It is one of these things where once while we're in it and while all of the announcements are being made and our life is being changed so much, it's it's easy to forget that this will be in our rearview mirror at some point. I mean, we don't know what road we're going to have to drive over between now and then, but at some point it will be in our rearview mirror. But we'll be left with a lot of really positive experiences, I'm guessing. There's already been some really nice things that have come out about the way the community is responding and interacting with each other virtually and all that kind of stuff. It's an interesting time. It's in part, it's it's a pretty cool time. And, and I, for one, am really fascinated to see what kind of things – that we have to do now, that we're forced into doing, that will stick later on. 
you know, for example, right now I am working completely virtually with a number of people and it's working really, really well. And people like you and I and so many others that have been on this podcast have talked in the past about understanding all of the options that are available to us professionally and how we work. And we also acknowledge that some organizations are slower to change than others, maybe in just some way, an experience like this, the corona experience, will kind of fast track some of the changes that we've been hoping for for some time. Look, I agree. I was chatting to one of my clients last week and she was saying to me, my team is loving working from home. I don't think I'm going to get them back in the office. Yeah. So I, I certainly think there's, uh, for people who have never worked from home before, they're trying it and going, wow, this can work. Yeah. I think the difference is the potential longevity of this. So even for someone like me who, since I left corporate for the last you know six odd years, I have had a home office, but I'm also traveling a lot and usually I'm out and about meeting clients and all of that is now in-house. And so that level of connection and engagement that I'm having is going to be different. So you're still connecting virtually, you know, using webcasts and a whole raft of great technology, but it's not the same as being in the same room with somebody. And so I think this is absolutely going to change how we work, but people still like coming together. And that's the important bit that I've been talking to clients about is as we're going through this period of transition, as people get used to working from home for a period of time that we don't quite know what the end date will look like, how do you still maintain connection? Because you are, as the leader of the team, you're still leading that team. You're still providing guidance and direction and the vision, but it's now more important than ever to also care for them in terms of the emotional support that you need to provide and also create structure so that you are coming together on a regular basis, not just going, oh, well, everyone's going to work from home. We'll just do this all remotely, but there's no structure in terms of how this is going to work. Mm, that is a, a really good point and a timely reminder for a lot of us. All right, now let's get to the topic at hand. Michelle, your brand new book, your third book, Bad Boss. Now, I'm amazed with all of the work that people like you and I do in leadership development. Are there really any bad bosses out there left in the world? I'm, I'm shocked to hear that. I don't think you're shocked. Look, it's interesting. You know, I, I do a lot of coaching work and typically the coaching work that I have be coming through two lenses, someone who has team members and they're struggling with their team members or people who are in a team and they're struggling with their boss. Hmm. And so often what happens is, you know, that the bad boss, there's always a little bit of a marketing license in terms of getting some energy into the title. But what I find is that people, whenever they're frustrated or annoyed or angry about something at work, it's not about the work. It's about the relationships at work. That person doesn't trust me. That person doesn't back me. That person said they'd do this and they're not doing this. And then when I'll say to them, well, okay, have you sat down and had a conversation about how you work together? And then typically the answer will be no. So we struggle with relationships, not always, but in many occasions we are struggling with relationships at work. There's always something, one particular relationship that might be that one that is the pain point. And yet where they're not stepping into the conversation and working out how do we make that relationship work. And so the genesis of the book was all about that. As an individual, I have to take accountability for my relationship my relationship with my boss, my relationship with my boss's boss, my relationship with my team members if I have them, and how do I make sure that that relationship works rather than going, it's that person's 
problem. It's that person's fault. They need to fix it rather than me stepping in and trying to find a way to make it work. I like that concept about the genesis of the book being about each of us taking responsibility or accountability for the nature of our relationships, whether it's with our boss or the people that we lead. That's a really nice thought and that's a, a nice core from which to approach this. And I know in a few minutes, we're going to get to those three core kind of views that you take, the, the three angles that you take that um, when we're thinking about bad bosses, either I work for a bad boss, I manage a bad boss, or I am a bad boss. That's a tough pill to swallow, I imagine. But before we get there, let's rake over the coals of what a bad boss is. Because even though, as you mentioned, we might have unproductive relationships with other people in the workplace, when that unproductive relationship is with our boss, that's when it really has a powerful influence on us at work and in our broader life. Is that true? And tell us a little bit about the kind of damage that a bad boss relationship can do to a workplace and to the individuals around them. We know that emotions are contagious. So all the research backs that up. And so if you have a boss that you can't relate to, a boss who you feel doesn't treat you fairly, a boss where you feel like you can't you know, step up, be authentically you, it impacts your productivity, it impacts how you engage with other people, and it also can impact your mental health and well-being. And all of that sort of the negative energy that you then feel in the work environment, that can get taken home. And so I always look at this sort of, you know, from a societal lens and a systemic lens, well, we've got relationships at work that don't work. It impacts family life. It impacts mm-hmm. our relationships with our friends. And that can then spill over to the community. So it's not contained. And that's the really important part of this. And when we look at the research into the state of mental health in the workplace, and Beyond Blue has done lots of research, and they released a report back in 2017 looking at the state of mental health in the workplace. And, you know, the report's fairly damning in terms of the issues that we've got. And what it says is like a wake-up call to go, we know that there's an issue of mental health in the workplace and across the community. And if you've got relationships at work that aren't healthy, that's contributing to it. And so as a leader and as team members, what are we doing to support each other to make sure that we're creating the environment which is healthy and thriving? Whether it's a half-day energizer session or a comprehensive team and leadership program, Team Guru's unique approach could be just what the doctor ordered for your organization. So I like a few things there. Emotions are contagious and these relationships and the effect of these relationships is not contained to the workplace. It spills over into our personal life, our family life and into the community as well. So there's no doubt that this is an important issue. And we all know that the number one reason people leave a job is because of a bad relationship with their manager. We've known that for a long time and that hasn't changed So when you think about bad bosses, Michelle, do you think about them in a number of different categories? Are there different types of bad bosses? Look, there are different types of bad bosses. And I think the key bit is, comes down to like the level of awareness. So is the person actually aware that they're a bad boss? And what's the intent of their actions? And so if I go back through my corporate career, I had someone who, they were ineffective as a, a leader because they were just off the scale disorganized, but their intent wasn't bad. So they weren't they were a bad a person. Nice person. 
Yeah. No. And so they're a really nice person. I liked them as a person. I connected well with them. And in some respects, you know, it was a relatively okay work environment. But what would happen is because they were disorganized, that disorganization would then feed down through to me because what would happen is things would come in. I hadn't been given notice. I then wouldn't meet these deadlines that had been imposed because it had been sitting on this person's desk for ages and they hadn't then fed that down to me. Now, I contrast that with other people that I've worked with who, you know, they clearly had their intent was this is all about me. The relationships that I'm they were building were all about them. The outcomes they were seeking were all about them. And so in that type of situation, they had high levels of awareness that their impact that they were having on you was not good, but they didn't care. And so for me, I always look at it, you know, those sort of ends of the spectrum. To what extent do they have awareness? Right. What is their intent of their actions? And is it all about them? Because that then helps you understand, well, what type of boss am I dealing with? That then makes it easier to work out what are the strategies that you're going to use to be able to then work through and go, okay, given I've got this type of boss, this is the best type of approach to take to be able to manage the environment that you're in. I like that. So you think about it as a bit of a spectrum and that first person, the first boss you talked about there was not a bad person, nice person, well-intentioned, but their awareness was so low. They were really disorganized and they just couldn't see how that impacted the people around them. All the way to the other end of the scale where someone has high awareness, they they get the wake they're leaving. They understand the kind of impact their behavior is having on those around them, but they don't care because it's all about them. Hey, with that second type of person, Michelle, is the number one driver for them, is it all about their own career and managing up? Is that the kind of boss who frustratingly, and we've all experienced this, is really fabulous at communicating with their boss and their boss's boss or the important stakeholders? They're really good at making themselves look good because they're driven by selfish ambition and don't care how that affects the people around them or the people who report to them. Is that the model? Look, I think you've summed it up perfectly. I refer to that person as the illusionist and their mantra is make me look good. Mm. And so sometimes working for someone like that, it can actually be, you know, put aside the sort of the toll it can have on you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've worked for a person like that and I look back through my career and go, that person, it was pivotal in terms of my career success working for them because of the exposure I got to a whole raft of different things across the organization. But I did have to practice a lot of self-care whilst I was working for that person and also be really conscious that I wasn't absorbing their behavior. Because when we talk about emotions being contagious, you know, we know through research, if you work for someone who is, you know, an ineffective leader in a certain way, it can be very easy for you to absorb those traits and then treat your staff in the same way. And so with the illusionist, when you go, okay, I get what this person is about, it is all about them. But how do I then make sure, what am I getting out of this? What am I getting out of this relationship, out of this work, this period of time in my life? And where's my no-go zone? Meaning, what's the line that I won't cross because I don't want to turn into them? And where's the use-by date? Because there will be a use-by date where you go, yeah, I'm done. I cannot work in this environment any longer. Tell you what, that's resilience, isn't it? If you find yourself in a situation like that with someone who is an illusionist, someone who is 
making themselves look good because of their own ambition, if you can be resilient enough to say, okay, well, this is not an ideal situation, but how can I make that work for me? I like that. And and just as importantly is where is the line here that I will not cross that moral boundary that says, I recognize their behavior, I see what they're about, and I want this to work for me because that's resilience, but I'm not willing to jump over this line. I also liked what you said about how quickly that kind of ripple effect can occur if if someone is treating their staff in a certain way because of their their own ambition and drive to make themselves look good you have and i have seen so many times before that then their direct reports will treat their own direct reports in that same way because that's the the type of leadership that is modeled to them that is the culture that's created that organization that is Really interesting stuff, and and I know that people listening to this can relate to that exact situation. All right, Michelle, let's get to the good stuff. Let's talk about what we do with bad bosses. Now, I'm going to leave it to you as to what shape we take here, because you've framed it really nicely with that spectrum. We have that spectrum we've already discussed, but there's also the other lens or the other three lens, the, the I work for one, I manage one, or I am one. So I'm going to take your lead on how we best answer the question, what do we do about bad bosses? So let's start with you if you think you work for one, because the way the book was structured, and I deliberately did it like that, and the reason I did it around the three lenses of yourself, your boss, and your boss's boss is it's very easy for us to point a finger and go, it's that person, it's that person, it's that person. not me. Yeah, exactly. And you know, the first thing is if you've got a bad boss, sit back as an employee and go, hmm, am I a bad employee? Mm. Are you getting, you know, feedback? Are they, you know, feeling like you're getting pressure put on you because they're going, I just don't see this person delivering. This person isn't turning up. They're not delivering. They're not meeting expectations. Now, there could be a whole raft of factors, which means the employer goes, I don't see this person as a good employee. Now, that doesn't excuse that employer slash boss treating someone badly, belittling them, making them feel bad or anything that's negative. But at the same time, if you're an ineffective employee, part of your boss's role is to actually give you feedback and to you know counsel and coach you on what needs to be done and how you can improve So part of it is really assessing the environment that you're in, what are you contributing to it, and what can you do differently? And then the part of sort of, you know, thinking long-term versus short-term, because often what we do as individuals when we're in an environment that's not working is we think we need to get out immediately. And you may, but it might also make sense to stay for a period of time. So do the kind of analysis around the stay and should I go? And so there's a whole heap of activities I get people to do in the book. So they're really understanding the environment they're in, how much that environment that they can shift and shape and change, how much are they contributing to that environment, and then test out some strategies in the workplace so then they can work out, should I stay, should I go? So the first step for me when I find myself led by a bad boss and that boss might fall anywhere on that spectrum that we've discussed, is that I've got to look in the mirror and assess my own performance and think about how I'm contributing to the work that we get done and the environment that we're working in. That's a really nice first step. That's a tough first step, but we know that we've got to take control of the things that are controllable for us first. So I like that. It's a really nice, responsible step to take. 
And because it, it could be easy. I mean, if you've got a guy or a girl that he, he really is a bad boss and, and is acknowledged by everyone around them, it can be a really easy cop-out to then just let yourself off the hook when it comes to performance and when it comes to your workplace contribution. So I think that's a really nice first step. What do you do after that, Michelle, when you've looked in the mirror and you think, okay, I need to step up in these different ways. I My performance can be better and I'm going to work on this and I am working on that. Okay, so I've got that. What do I then do if my boss is still a bad boss, if their behaviors are still toxic or disorganized and and making the work environment a negative one for those around us. Is there any part of this where I start to try and influence their behaviour? You do. And I, I, it's understand the context in which they're operating. So I use the analogy in the book of a pressure chamber. And so when you think about the way organisations work, and even though people you know, hypothesise and talk a lot about you know, flat structures and organizations still have a hierarchy. There are still people who have more power. There are people who make decisions. And so understanding the context in which you work is really important to understand the pressure that your boss is under. So if they're in an environment where there's a lot of pressure coming down from their bosses, step back and look and understand how is that impacting how they behave and what they're doing. Because there's a difference between a boss who in a short period of time has gone from being a good boss to now being ineffective and not a good boss Mm. because of environmental circumstances. Then you can sit back and go, okay, how do I help them? How do I step in and be more supportive, more compassionate, more empathetic for what they're going through? Because if you can step in and go, hey, what do you need from me? Then the boss goes, oh, yay. Someone's on my side. Yeah, someone's actually seen that I need help. And you are then contributing to actually the positivity in that relationship and elevating the status in that relationship. Um, you know, I often took the mantra through my corporate career that one of my mottos was, I'm here to help make my boss look good. Now, people would say to me, oh, that's a bit naive. You know, Surely, don't you want to get all the credit? I go, no, because if I made my boss look good, then they knew I was helping them look good and that would bring me benefits, promotions, whatever else I needed in my career. And so, as a strategy, the more you can do to support your boss, that can really pay off. And so, I talk about investing in the boss bank because what you want to do is you're investing in that relationship and understanding what do they need and how can you help them and being really clear around what matters to them and what matters to you. Because, you know, there's currency in a relationship and understanding that currency around basic needs and then more evolved needs that we have in relationships and how that can actually get met. And so, the more you can invest in that relationship, the more it typically will pay off longer term. Wow. Okay. So, invest in that boss bank. Understand the pressure that they're under. Why are they being a bad boss? What kind of things are they responding to? What's the nature of the relationship that they have with their own boss and the pressure that they're put under there? That's taking the high road, Michelle. And is there any more moves here? We're we're talking about when you work for a bad boss, you've given us a couple of strategies there, assess your own performance and then understand their pressure. Is there anything else to come under this one? I think the other thing as well is you do need to set boundaries. And the part of that is really being clear at the start of the relationship, ideally, around how you work together effectively what you're bringing to the table in terms of your skills and talents and the value that you're going to contribute, 
but what brings out the best in you and also understanding what brings out the best in them. Because, you know, there are occasions where, you know, there will be bosses who do things or ask for things that are unreasonable. So being really clear around, you know, what you're going to say no to, particularly in terms of working outside, in terms of working hours, what your expectations are and what their expectations are. And so all of that, of course, is much easier to do and to have those conversations when you're an employee who delivers results. And so that goes back to the conversation earlier. Be clear around what you need to deliver. Be the great employee. Understand your boss and what they need, but then also be clear about what you need and how those needs can be met through this relationship as well. That's a really important part of this. And you you mentioned it earlier, that idea that once you've assessed this particular relationship and how I can be better and what, what pressures my boss are under and what the boundaries are in this relationship, there's also that bit where you say, okay, what's the timeline on this? All right, it's a, it's, it's a tough situation, but I can get these certain things out of it for my career or my own professional development. But I've got to draw a line in the sand and say, when behavior goes past this point, I'm out. Or when this amount of time is up, I'm out. That's a really crucial point to get to, I'm guessing, because I'm also guessing that when this starts to really affect someone's life is that when is when they're in a situation like this for a long period of time. And long ago, did they cease getting anything out of it except the negative side of having a bad boss? Look, I agree. And it's also when you know that it's impacting you. And so, you know, I've been there. I've been in the situation. And that's why, you know, when I was writing the book, I was writing it through my own experience because, and I say this right at the beginning, I was a bad boss. And I was a bad boss, not because I was a mean and nasty person, just because I was an ineffective leader. I didn't know any better. So when I first started in my leadership roles, you know, I was given a team and no one taught you how to do it. You were sort of taught how to manage in terms of workflow and status updates, but you weren't taught how to create connections and bring people together. And so, you know, I understood what it's like to not be an effective leader. But I also know what it feels like to work in an environment where you could see it taking its toll. And that's why you need to have people around you because I didn't see this happening to me, but my husband did. And he just looked at me one day and he said, what are you doing? He said, that place is killing you. He said, I've never seen you doubt yourself so much. He goes, you're second guessing everything that you're doing. And he goes, the hours you're working. He goes, it's nuts. And I hadn't realized the toll it was taking on me because I've always been able to make things work. And so, because I've always been able to make things work, I kept thinking, so I've always been able, I bet, yeah, I've been able to make it work because I work hard. So, the answer has to be, oh, I have to just keep working harder. Yeah. And if so- I keep working harder, then they're going to see that this is going to work. And it was when my husband kind of did the wake-up call, I literally went into work the next week and said, I'm done. Did you? You took that brave step. You cut yourself out. I did. I voted myself off the island. Yeah, that's admirable because it's hard to do that. Look, it is. And I always say everyone's got different circumstances. You know, I'm in a situation where, you know, both my husband and I work. So, you know, we had financial considerations where obviously, you know, you have to consider them, but it wasn't as though we didn't have income coming in if I did that. But I was really, you know, it's not something that you do easily. And for me, you know, I was worried about reputational damage, a whole raft of different things. We had moved into state for the role. Wow. So we'd uplifted the family. Like there's a whole raft of things around it. And I remember saying to myself at the time, Michelle, you'll be the fodder of gossip for literally a week, if anything. 
at um, most. Yeah, exactly. But I did feel shame. I remember because I remember saying to my boss at the time, I said, and don't do a farewell party. I won't be there. He goes, wow. oh, no, no, no. He goes, I think you've been fantastic. We need to do a farewell party. And I said, no, I won't be there if you do a farewell party. And they did a farewell party and I didn't turn up. <laughs> what a note to end on. Now, I know there were people who were listening to that and they heard it. They agreed. Yeah, agree, agree, agree. Bad boss, bad relationship, having an impact on me. But as soon as they heard you say, but I was okay financially, my husband was still working, we were all right, they'll check out and say, well, that's not me. I can't do that. I can't take that step. I am locked into this. I cannot miss one mortgage repayment. And that is the absolute truth for a lot of people in that situation. But I would just do implore you to not leave it at that. Sure, you might not be able to afford a gap in employment, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be doing something about it. And and my my question to you is, what can you do about it in the safety of knowing that you need an income? Sitting back and doing nothing is not the solution. What Look, can you do within the bounds of what will work for you and your family? Absolutely. And so I guess my comment earlier was much in more relation to how quickly I did the exit in terms of once I had the awareness of the impact, I exited very quickly. And I'm really conscious that people are in different situations. I do also often say, and I know this is hard, and people often say to me, oh, Michelle, that's unrealistic. But you know, there are occasions where people live beyond their means. And so it's really important. I talk about this in my second book, that we need to have FU money. And the FU money is a, not that I'm a millionaire, but where you can save and have some money that is can tide you over for even just a couple of months so that if you needed to and had to exit quickly, you would have some more options up your sleeve. But if you don't have those options up your sleeve in terms of being able to exit quickly, one, the first thing is find people around you who are your support network, the people who love you, who care for you, who you can talk this through because you need people who you can talk to, who can help you process what's happening and who will genuinely care for you. Be very cautious about what you say to people that you work with because as humans, it's just who we are. We gossip. It's part of our genetic makeup. And what you don't want to do is gossip and for that gossip to then get back to other people at work. That's not going to help you in the long run. So it's really important to maintain the professionalism, have outlets in terms of people that you talk to, exercise, meditate, eat well. All of the things that we're always told to do in terms of practicing self-care, all of that's really important. And then the last one which is often really hard to do, actually to sit down and go, I need to have a conversation with my boss. Now, there are some bosses that this doesn't work with, but there's also other bosses that this will work with, where you sit down and you work through and go, okay, I want to have a better relationship with them. So I need to work through how this is going to work in terms of talking them through about the working relationship, how you can work, what more do they need from you, what you need from them. And it needs to be done in a way that you're calm when you're doing it. And that's, you know, that's hard to do. But if you get into the conversation and you let emotions run the show, mm. you're not going to end up with a good outcome, but it's owning your part in the relationship. And if you go in and have the conversation and it doesn't get anywhere, well, then you go, yeah, well, okay, I now know I'm done. This dynamic isn't going to change. This is who this person is. What I've also seen as really helpful is situations where people have gone and spoken to people who used to work with this person and have worked with that person really successfully, get insights, understand. How can you make this work? 
yeah, what's help me understand how this person ticks. I just don't seem to be on the same wavelength as them, but I can see that when you worked with them, you guys really, you're in sync with each other and you'll be able to get some insights because perhaps there's aspects of your mode of operation that needs to change. And I'll give you an example of one of my, the people that I interviewed as part of the book. And she'd been in this situation where she had a boss, absolutely loved the boss. Boss is awesome. She's really happy. Boss leaves. New boss comes in. And very early on, she's saying to me, yeah, I'm done. I need to go. This isn't working. I can't connect with him. I don't like him. I don't think he respects the way I work. You know, just a stream of things that were negative. We then worked through getting her to think about her boss through a different lens, approaching the challenges that that boss was facing because they were coming into a situation where the previous boss had been awesome. Everyone thought they were fantastic. New person comes in. Always hard to follow someone who's awesome. Much easier to follow someone who has a very good at their job. And she worked out over time that they had a different style but they were still a good person to work with, but she needed to adjust her style. And she found that as she adjusted her style to accommodate him, he adjusted his style to accommodate her. So rather than sitting back and going, he needs to change, she changed first. By changing first, it was easier for him to change too. Yeah, that is a really nice piece of advice. All right, Michelle. And one of the things I liked about that way back was that FU money. And I remember that from our last conversation. It's for a lot of people in in their situation, it is hard to do that. It's hard to build up that FU money, but it's a really great concept. And whatever the scale it is that you can build up that money and give yourself a little bit of latitude for decision making, it's really important, even just to help you feel as though it's an option. Leaving is an option. That could be a little bit of a win just in itself. But let's move on. Oh, sorry, Michelle, go for it. Can I add something in there? Mm. Because I think the thing is, I always say to people, your career and life aren't divorced from each other. Mm. And so it is about everything that you're deciding in life is a choice that then impacts your career. You know, what type of car you buy, where you buy your house, where you, you know, send your kids to school, all of that kind of stuff, because all of that then impacts the, you know, where you're spending money, which then impacts your, the type of earning capacity you have to have. And I see it happen all the time. People end up in jobs where they're trapped and they go, I feel trapped. I don't feel like I've got a choice because I've got a whole series of financial commitments. I have to earn at a certain level to make those financial commitments just to even meet them. And then when you strip those financial commitments, you go, well, which ones of those are fixed? And which ones of those are actually variable? And there are some of them that are variable. And so look at those variable expenses and work out what of this do I really, really need that's actually adding value to my life? Because maybe then I have some more ability to have other choices with my career. I might have more choice than I think. All right. Now, we've talked about the big one, I think, the one where we work for a bad boss. That's the thing that's going to drive people to listen to this. That's the the kind of advice that people want to hear. But there are those other two lenses and we haven't got much time left, Michelle. So we're just going to have to do a bit of a highlights package of what do we do when we manage a bad boss? And really importantly, what do we do when we start to acknowledge that maybe I am the bad boss? What are your thoughts on those two? So let's start with the manager bad boss. And you know, many years ago, one of the leaders that I worked for said to me, Michelle, the behavior you step over is the behavior you endorse. Mm-hmm. And so often I've seen leaders go, ah, oh, I know they're not really effective. 
but gee, they bring in the big dollars. You know, they're the big sales leader or they just manage to get stuff done. You know, they implement that really difficult project or they're really creative. And so their poor behavior is forgiven because they're able to deliver certain outcomes. And so as a leader, you have to ask the question, what do you stand for? What's your leadership mantra? What do you want to be known for? Because you can still get those outcomes, but you can get them in a different way. You can still get them but by having leaders around you who are effective, compassionate, empathetic, engaged. And so it's you as that senior leader making that choice around the culture that you're creating in the teams that you are managing and then setting the standard for that. Because if you're the bad boss, well, perhaps you're the tip of the infection that's Mm. infecting everybody else around you. And so just as the leaders need the self-awareness, you as the senior leader, the boss's boss, need to be self-aware of your behavior and the impact that you're having on others. And then if you're seeing that the leaders in your team aren't making the grade, what support are you giving them? Mm. And so there's a whole series of sort of activities and thought prompts that I put in the book to help people work through that. And then at the end, to actually make a decision to go, okay, now that there's been a significant period of time, has that investment of time and energy, has it shifted the dial in terms of how that leader is showing up and how they're engaging with people and how they're leading? Because you then have to make a choice in terms of, do you invest more time, more energy? Do you actually see that it's, you know, it's shifting in the way that you want it? Or do you go, actually, time out, buddy. It's now time to move that leader on because they're actually not a leader. They're just a manager. And what you need if you want to have an effective environment is you need a team of, you know, you need teams led by leaders. And then lastly, in terms of identifying if you are a bad boss, is it's putting in place practices where you're getting feedback. So you're getting feedback, you're open to the feedback, and you're working through what you want to do about it. And even when I was writing the book, you know, there are lessons and learnings in the book. So even if you go, oh, I'm not a bad boss, but hey, I could be better. And I actually, most people go, yeah, they could be better. What are the things that you want to do differently? And the book or, you know, section three helps people do that. That if you're an okay leader, what are the things that you can do to become an awesome leader? So it's very much through the lens of continuous improvement. And also let's step up and create the best possible working environments that we all can. And we all play a role in contributing to that energy in the workplace. Michelle, that is a beautiful place to leave it. Thank you so much for coming back on the Team Guru podcast. It has been great to have you on for the third time. My pleasure. And that was Michelle Gibbings giving us some tips on surviving a bad boss. If you like Michelle and want to hear more from her here on the Team Guru podcast, tune in to episode 88 when she and I talked about surviving a rapidly changing world. Or you can go way back to episode 43 when Michelle and I chatted about stepping up your career. As always, I'll share the lessons I took from my conversation with Michelle on the Lessons Learned page from this podcast. You'll find it along with the entire back catalogue of Team Guru podcasts on our website. 
That's teamswithans.guru forward slash podcast. Connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, or LinkedIn, and join me for the next episode on this, my mission to bring to life the theories and principles of leadership. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now.